Hello, welcome back to another podcast episode of Let's Open the Bible. It's Russ and Gavin. Yes. 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 I'm the second fiddle. Wait, yeah, but you got first chair. Yeah. That's because I'm closest to the door, so when you kick me out, it's easy for me to leave. (laughs) Hello, Gavin. (laughs) (laughs) We got to get rid of that. We're going to jettison that for something else. Uh, well, listener, thank you for uh, being with us today, whatever time of day and whatever day of the week it is. Um, we're recording this for um, tomorrow being the Thursday episode, and so we appreciate you joining along. Today we're going to talk about protecting the young. And listener, if you want to find Matthew chapter 18, uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 after Gavin opens us up with a word of prayer. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we come to you today as humbly as we know how, knowing that at one point we were all children and we will always be growing. And so, God, I do pray that you would, uh, uh, that we would set our eyes on you, that we would grow towards you, that we would call others to grow towards you, and and uh, in terms of discipleship, that we would learn and then teach um, all the things that you have commanded us, that we would pass those on to our children and to the people around us. That's called discipleship. And God, I pray that you would equip us for it and call us to it uh, and uh, and strengthen us for it. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for this time. May you be honored and glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 18 begins, uh, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Whoever causes one of these little little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea." When we were discussing this topic before we came on air, I was, uh, again, referring to my time at, uh, at the retreat that I went to and uh, mentioned that uh, Pastor Simbola had said something to the effect of uh, uh, the enemy attacks the young before they get old. And my wife and I both, uh, we have a, a very young youth pastor who is, is currently going through some uh, warfare issues. Uh, he took a stand for his faith in uh, in an arena that is uh, not well received, oftentimes, and so there has been a lot of threats and a lot of hostility towards him. And so when we heard this, my wife and I both thought of him. We didn't know it at the time. We were talking later, and uh, we we both said the same thing, which was pretty interesting that we both thought of him in that moment, just because the of the uh, the the way the enemy uses um, his tactics of fear and intimidation to cause believers to try to back off and uh, or to denounce their faith. And, of course, the scary part of that, one of the scary parts of that is, you know, Jesus' words said, uh, you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father, uh, which should strike fear in all of our hearts. But that seems to be a couple of weapons that the enemy uses. You know, fear is a powerful motivator uh, for a lot of people, and, and certainly the enemy uh, uses fear. But we also see in the account of Moses um, and then in, in Jesus. You know, in both cases, you have this uh, evil ruler, this ungodly ruler who seeks to destroy 
children. In the case of Moses, uh, you know, there was the uh, account, all the children under two, I think it was. And it was the same with Herod when, uh, when he was seeking to destroy Jesus. So, uh, Yeah, so we, we just, before we got on the air, we talked about universals. And, and universals is not simply attacking the youth. So uh, anecdotally, uh, I can tell you about an SBC leader that fell, uh, his reputation was damaged and his, um, and his marriage was damaged because of a late life temptation. Mm-hmm. The devil doesn't, is relentless, doesn't let up, is, is often seeking to bring down leaders and well-established people. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, I, the universal is not that only that, that the devil attacks kids, um, for sure. Um, and then Noah, it, it, there doesn't seem to be evidence that he was a drunkard before he gets off the ark. And yet he's, he's caught in abject drunkenness by his children after he gets off the ark. And so the, the one thing that, that, you know, reminded me of is the, the battle against sin never ends. That's true. So, so the, the, you know, the devil's looking you know, again to destroy at any age he can get you and lead you astray. However, <clears throat> um, there are verses that are particular to the attack on children. And so in, in this case, uh, it's, it's um, in verse six, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. So there is an outside influence on children to lead them astray uh, that, that we need to be aware of. Right. Uh, it attacks in the church. There, there are bad leaders in the church. There are bad leaders in youth ministry. There are bad leaders in ministry. There are parents. There are people around them. There are other children that are causing these kids to be led astray. And according to Jesus, that's not a good thing. Yeah, no, it's uh, any time the description uh, of you is it would be better for a millstone to be hung around your neck. You don't want that. Right. And and in I think it's incumbent upon the parents to, to train up their children in the way that they should go. That Proverbs 22, 6, um, yeah. train up the child in the way that he should go when he's older and won't depart from it. We are to raise up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That is our responsibility. And we have a small window to do it. Um, you know, they, they talk about how absolutely influential the first several years are in a child's life, you know, behavioral psychologists and, um, uh, sociologists, a lot of people have done research on this and there is a, there is a long-term effect on the way that a child is raised that you have them at a, a, a very important time. And parents, we need to take that seriously. I, I I've often said this, you want to know what your kids are going to love? Oftentimes, even most often what you love. That's right. I know parents that love and are passionate for hunting and their children grow up to love hunting. I know uh, parents that are passionate for sports and their kids grow up loving sports. Not always. It's not, that's not a universal, but, but I think we have this opportunity um, when they're young to Deuteronomy six, teach them as they, you know, rise up and as they lie down, as they go out and as they come in, that we are to teach, 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 and be passionate about God um, so that they would see it's not just, we've got to teach you, but, Oh, we get to teach you about Jesus, our passion. Um, and fathers are really instrumental in that fathers. You need to take this call seriously. Um, have you, have you always done that? Well, no, no one does it perfectly well at all. I remember, uh, I remember when my mom was, um, going through the process of dealing with cancer, ultimately leading to her death. She expressed, um, being grieved, as a parent, and I didn't understand that. I wasn't, a, I wasn't, uh, you know, our children were very young yet. Uh, as I've grown older and wiser and more mature, hopefully, 
uh, I've begun to understand something of that type of grief of realizing that I haven't always done uh, very good. In fact, sometimes I've done really not good uh, at this. And this is actually what some some of what we talked about on on the Tuesday podcast when we talked about spiritual confusion, the importance of teaching our children the way they should go. Uh, to give them the underpinnings of faith. Now, understand that you know they at some point that our faith will not save them. They they have to have that personal relationship themselves. But we can we can we can go a long way in instructing them, pointing them to the Lord, and and helping them establish those foundational disciplines that, as you like to say, place them in the streams of grace. Right. One of the big problems for me is the, our parents are not equipped. So Christian Smith did that big study that you know said that we're teaching our children moralistic therapeutic deeds, and we're not teaching them Christianity. So you have parents not only you know falling short occasionally to teach their kids consistently, uh, faithfully, uh, repeatedly, and passionately, but so so, so we. Fail in if we had the right stuff, we still fall short. You know, the, the, you know, our, how many parents are leading their children in devotions daily? Uh, how many children uh, parents are teaching their kids the you know catechizing their kids? How many parents are doing these things? And you go, okay, so we fail in teaching them faithfully, you know, passionately, consistently, um, constantly, so th- so that they're learning that the the word of God speaks truth into their life moment by moment throughout the day. like It's just this rumination, this Psalm 1 rumination on God's word. We fail in that. But then we, we're teaching them wrong stuff. Right. We're teaching them this glorified Santa Claus that sits up in heaven, this distant God that sits up in heaven. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. And as long as you're not drinking, smoking, you know, sleeping around, you're good. That's not Christianity. And we it- make our kids rule followers or law-breaking uh, hiders of their transgressions rather than people that turn to Christ and receive the washing uh, with the blood of their sins and fall in love with him and then pursue him for the rest of their lives. We don't even teach them that. So um, go ahead. You were going to say something? I was just going to say how many of us um, are verse 6 uh, parents. You know, We're not only not teaching them the ways of the Lord properly, we're teaching them about sin. Yeah, so I, I like how you said that we're not teaching them the ways of the Lord properly, being our methodology often falls short. But we're not even teaching them the ways of the Lord. We're actually teaching them the ways of our idols that we've created. And one of the one of the ways that I would address that is tell parents, con- you have idols in your heart. Your heart is an idol factory. Right. Uh, that, that John Owen, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Do it, make it your business daily to do that. You need We need to be in the word, anchored in the word. We need to be catechizing ourselves uh, so that we know what good sound doctrine looks like and, and, and according to God's word, um, how, it, how it is expressed, lived out, and practiced. So um, Aristotle has a, a quote that, most people have heard of give me a child until he is seven and I will show you the man. Mm. Like, and while Aristotle is, is no friend of Christianity, there is some truth to the, the effect and importance of those early years in training up that child in the way he should go. Yeah. Um, uh, where else do you want to go with that? So our church, maybe, maybe so the parents, we talked about them. What about the churches? What is the responsibility of the churches to guard our kids? Well, I think that a lot of the young people, uh, or excuse me, a lot of the people in churches today that have been in church for a long time always have examples 
of godly people that that kind of came around them in the church and sort of discipled them along the way, whether we're talking about Sunday school teachers, even nursery workers that have loved on them, that have uh, taught them things. I know you you talked about your son that's a, a, a big into Star Wars and having that, that uh, gentleman in your church that loves Star Wars and how they can have those conversations. What a beautiful opportunity for him to uh, guide your son through a conversation about Star Wars towards uh, things of lasting truth and not fantasy or sci-fi, right? And so I, I think there is a, a, a there is something uh, to the church family coming around the young people and guiding them and shepherding them. I've got some beautiful uh, older members of our church that have done that well with some of our young, at one time younger, now teenaged or even older folks in our, our church that, that just, you know, whenever they, they're offering a testimony uh, or whenever they're talking about growing up, they're, they're pointing to these pillars uh, of the church here. And it's just a beautiful testimony of how they have kind of discipled them through some different uh, experiences. Uh, I want to move off the table, so I want to discuss it briefly and then move off the table the practical uh, responsibilities of the church. So I was I was disappointed to hear mm, five years ago a, um, a lesson on the practical ways that a church can protect its kids, and one of them was a lot of secular organizations like the YMCA and schools understand that there are predators around your kids. Right. And so they have taken steps to guard against, you know, a teacher being alone with your child or I know at the YMCA I worked at, they were beautifully and rightly over the top in guarding against that type of, of thing. Churches are well behind the curve. And so practically, listen, leading a kid to stumble is the abuse and attack on them whether it's emotional abuse, you know, children just chewing out the kids, um but but even, you know, uh, assault, um, those types of things where, where kids are manipulated. So, so in, in this training, they said the secular organizations are, are protecting your kids and, and taking some steps to do that. Not perfectly. Of course, you see it all the time in the news every day, but the churches are behind the curve. So that's where some of the predators are coming. And I just want to say like churches, we need to take that seriously. Yeah. We need to be very aware of what's going on in our nurseries. And, and you know, if, if you have one, I love intergenerational family integrated churches. I love that idea. That's beautiful. But if you have a nursery, if you have children's church, be aware of what's going on there. Um, and then, so, uh, and th but then doctrinally, we are, I, I know a person that was going to be hired as the director of children's education and teach the kids. And he was very, extremely doctrinally immature. That happens all the time. We just put people in positions because it's what we got. Hey, they're volunteers. Who can? I've we need seen to be, that. Yeah. I've seen that. So as churches, our responsibility is to make sure that there is doctrinal soundness from the teachers going to the kids. And and by the way, to also encourage the parents, you we will never outparent the parents. It is impossible to outparent the parents. Every study will tell you it's impossible to outparent the parents. I know somebody um, – well, we won't get into that. All right, it's just impossible to outparent the parents. So, so equip the parents and let the parents understand this is your job. We're not taking over your job. In fact, that's one of the benefits of family integrated churches. Um, the parents understand this isn't our responsibility to raise up your children. The Bible has one way of doing it, and it's you, and it's not us. And sometimes I've even heard this uh, when they say, "But it's kind of we just want the church to assist us." And I go, "Great." So when the church starts to assist, the parents step back and go, "You guys got it." Right. 
That's the problem. That's the problem. All right. So so um, but the if you if you do have Sunday schools and stuff like that for kids, if you have designated children's churches, you need to have the right teachers in there. It's it's a huge responsibility. It's why uh, James three says not many of you among you should be teachers. Yeah, I had an experience where I was uh, teaching um, a Sunday school, uh, a youth Sunday school. This is many years ago. Uh, and then we had somebody, and honestly, I can't tell you now whether or not they were a new member of the church or just a visitor. I don't know, but they volunteered to teach. And just in, an, I think, uh, just a lack of wisdom in that at that time, uh, they were allowed to teach. We were co-teaching. Uh, and, and I think maybe their idea of co-teaching and our idea of co-teaching was different. I think by, by what they were thinking is, is that we would both be in the room at the same time. Maybe that wasn't the case. So I would teach one Sunday. They would, this other person would teach the next Sunday. Well, uh, this other person was a woman. She brought in uh, her boyfriend at the time or whatever. And, uh, I wasn't there. I didn't, I don't know exactly what they were teaching, but apparently it was just all kinds of bad. And uh, fortunately there was some people there that that kind of heard uh, what was being taught and intervened, okay, and and you know got them out of there. But yeah, so I have seen I have I've or at least been involved in teaching on badly. I think we all have. Yeah, I I I could bring up some horror stories that I've seen and been involved with that you I mean like just mouth hits the floor. How in the world is this being taught in a church? Like what is going on? And and I, I've been responsible for for not being more on top of things for some of those. Uh, and they have to be corrected. All right. So one the doctrinal sound, soundness and and moving away from felt board Christianity. I understand that sometimes you have to speak in a way that a child can understand. Right? God condescended to us so that we could understand. I mean, condescended to the level of the lowly, and we need to to communicate things to a child that they can understand. Um, Ezra did that in Nehemiah 8. He spoke in a way that the people could understand, and, and children were involved in that. So, so I understand that. But if you're teaching wrong things to be right. reductionistic. I remember I, I went for a uh, cultural sensitivity training one time. It didn't work. <laughs> sensitivity is not my thing. But a cultural sensitivity training one time, and I went up afterwards, and I looked at the teacher, and I said, um, I said, this is, is actually wrong. What you're teaching is, is it's, it's not like, I have no problem with the truth ever, but what you're teaching is factually and logically wrong. And the person said, yeah, but it's what we have time for. And I think that goes on in, in these youth programs all the time is you go, what, what you're teaching is factually wrong. Well, they just don't need to hear about God's judgment or something like that. And I go, okay, but what you're doing is you're teaching them a whole different set of doctrine, wrong, erroneous, factually inaccurate, biblically uh, blasphemous at times, doctrine because they're young at the very least don't teach them wrong stuff teach them like you know wheelhouse christianity truth but like maybe a limited amount now i i think kids are you know let me back up i was i was um in a church setting and people said this stuff is difficult and i said okay i understand that um but it's worth putting in the time to understand some of these biblical truths and then I go and I listen to Jordan Peterson, and he is talking about epistemology and ontology, and and Jordan Peterson is blowing up in popularity among young people because 
you know, somebody's actually treating them like they have an, a mind that can be shaped and formed and fashioned. But in a church, we're like, no, we got to still treat them like kids and give this felt board Christianity. And by that, I mean, you know, you know what I mean by felt board Christianity, the way that we grew up in, you know, a Sunday school class where they have this felt board and they have these pictures of, you know, Moses and they give this really reduced and often, probably most often factually incorrect account because it's what we, what we teach little kids. No, we need to be, we need to be truth seekers and truth purveyors, truth teachers. All right. So, um, felt more Christianity warned against that. Get the kids familiar with the Bible. I know that a lot of times, especially now these, um, uh, these Bibles that have uh, cartoon, what are they called? Uh, children's Bibles, children's Bibles, but they have cartoons in them. And then they have, yeah. uh, not drawings anime. and different things. Yeah, but what are they? Comic strips, but they're not called comic strips. What are they called? My son would be really ashamed of me right now. I have no idea what you're talking about. Like the Bibles that are like action Bibles or something like that, and they, they, they it's a cartoon strip. Okay. And you go, okay, but it makes my kids excited to read the Bible. Yeah, it also makes them intimidated by the Bible that they will that will serve them well, the actual book. You know, and so instead of getting familiar with the the order of the books and 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 familiar with turning pages, familiar with the table of contents, familiar with the two testaments, you know, um, we're we're teaching them to get familiar with something that is not going to benefit them probably when they're older. So I just think there are ways that we go about raising up our kids and guarding our kids. There's practical guarding. There's doctrinal guarding. There's um, you know understanding of parents and parents' responsibility and church and their responsibility. All these ways are ways that we can protect our kids. Um, let's get back to Matthew 18, one, but you were going to say something. No, I, just that I've seen that. I mean, you, you know, you ask a lot of adults, even, you know, how many gospels are there? They can't answer the question. Right. And it, um, it's just a, a, a spiritual immaturity or a lack of biblical knowledge that, that stems from either not reading the Bible or using felt, you know, growing up with this felt board Christianity, which I didn't, but I know about it because Christie's yeah. told me about it. So, yeah. yeah, I get it. Well, and the other thing that, you know, we just for sake of clarity, there's one gospel, but you mean how many, how many uh, books uh, are written of the gospel of Jesus, yes. canonical books. So you have the, the gospel of Jesus according to Matthew, the gospel of Jesus according to Mark, the, Matthew, Matthew, the gospel of Jesus according to Luke, and the gospel of Jesus according to, to John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yeah, Three synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then the gospel of John. Yeah. All right, so um, what else? Uh, there was something else. Oh, I, I was kind of going to rail. The other thing that a lot of people say, maybe we'll get into some statistics too. So a lot of people say, um, you know, my kids don't want to come to church. So I, I'm not going to bring them to church. And and I, I go, okay, let's just walk through that. Do you apply that to other areas of your life? So do your kids ever not want to go to school? And you'd say, well, yeah, they don't want to go to school sometimes. Well, why do you make them go to school? Because I'm preparing them for their future. See, their academic and financial future oftentimes trump their spiritual future, their eternal future. And so we say no. And then kids stop arguing about going to school. Why do they stop arguing about going to school five days a week for six hours a day or whatever it is? Why do they stop going arguing about going to school for much longer? Um, maybe because some of them fall in love with it. Oh, my kid just enjoys school. But the they other know, thing is- They know it's not an option. It's not an option. When every Sunday you're waking up and saying, hey, are we going to go and worship God together with our brothers and sisters in Christ? And you're wrestling with it every day. Your kids then say, yeah, I don't want to. Another pro problem with this is, because I believe that church, you know, I was glad when they said, let us go to the 
the house of the Lord. Like I, that's a rejoicing, the day of rejoicing for me is to be worshiping with my brothers and sisters in Christ. But the other thing that happens is you're not doing family devotions and you're going to a school by federal mandate that leaves God out of the school. By federal mandate, God is not allowed in school. You cannot do anything that that pro- promotes or inhibits the, the teaching of religion. So by federal mandate, it, that school is secular. It's worldly, right? God is out. And by the way, that is a religion in and of itself. But so God is not a part of their school. They're learning e- English, math, science. They're learning eating lunch, all of it, not to the glory of God. Finding friends, not to the glory of God. Then a vast majority of parents are not doing family devotions at home at night. So you're learning to have your day, not to the glory of God, your night, not to the glory of God. And then one day a week, you're going to look at your kids and tell you that, that, tell them that God is the most important thing in their life. They have to be looking at you going, you're a liar. Hmm. You're a liar. God's not important in our life. Right. God's not important in the decisions we make. We get five minutes of prayer time before a meal. If Do you know many people that pray five minutes before a meal? Very few. All right. So so then you go, but God's the most important part. of. And then they're also not equipped to understand sermons. They're not equipped to understand doctrine and teaching. And so they're, the, the most boring part of, a, of a, that type of child's life is that hour a week or two hours a week that they go on a Sunday morning. And then we wonder why our kids are arguing about not going because they're not equipped to want to go. Again, I, I, I word it like this. When my son first walked in, if I would be watching a football game, he was bored out of his mind. He didn't understand it. It meant nothing to him. And, and then as he starts learning about football, he becomes passionate about it because now he understands the forward pass. He understands the fumble. He understands you know, incompletion, penalties, offsides. You know, he understands all those things. And now he's intrigued. What's the score? What does it mean? Who won? Field goals, you know, two-point conversions. He understands all of that. We don't equip our kids like that for for church. And we wonder why they're leaving. There's a mass exodus. What did you think would happen? What did you think would happen? Why would you expect your children would have a desire to do something that you aren't doing? Yeah. So then the other one is... um, Matthew 13, 19, the parable of the sower explained, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. And I think this could be applicable to young kids and immature Christians alike, uh, you know, that the devil, it's easy to pluck something that the kid doesn't understand. Okay. Okay, pastor, what does that look like? It looks like sitting down on a Wednesday night, and I know, I'm saying this again a little facetiously, but the Wednesday night all-stars, right? Those are ostensibly the mo- more serious in the faith as your Wednesday nighters. Not not necessarily, but right? And, the, and, and verse after verse you read, people are like, I don't know what it means. Well, what does this verse mean? I don't know. What does this verse mean? I don't know. And you go, how in the world? That, that, that is ripe for the devil to, to make a, a train wreck of your faith. And then you're teaching your kids, at best to read through the Bible, not understand it, and then just go, okay, now now I'm equipped to face the world or go off to college or whatever else. No. I mean, you got to put in time. Yeah. And I'll give one last anecdotal little thing. But um, one day I had a, a, a family gathering on, okay, let's equip the children. It's your responsibility. I'll give you some tools. The first meeting we had on the children was 40 people attending. The next meeting we had was four. The next meeting we had was two. And the next meeting we had was none. Because there's no other way other than hard work. 
Yeah, God doesn't usually just zap us with the information we need. We we got to. I've seen that movie, The Matrix. They, they don't just plug you in, right. and you're like, "Hey, give me the Bible." That's, that, that wasn't my seminary experience. What it wasn't? No. Huh? Oh, that was mine. <laughs> they hook you in a chair, you rattle around for a little bit and convulse, and then it's all there. And your eye, my eyes would open up and go, oh, "I know the Bible." No, I actually had to spend a lot of time. Oh, it is a lot of time, and I'm the world's worst memorizer. I'm, you know. I, it takes me hours and hours and hours to learn one small thing. Yeah, it, It's work. Well, here's what I've learned today. It's time to wrap it up. That's good. Yeah. You, you, you transition well. Listener, thank you for uh, joining us on this rocket ship. He has tickled himself. Oh, he transitioned well. Uh, listener, I invite you to continue to open your Bible and uh, just consider uh, the wisdom of scripture and and what it means to you if you're a parent uh, of a child uh, if you are a grandparent of a child or a friend of somebody who's a parent or grandparent um, you know just man train these children up until you uh, get back together with us again tomorrow i hope that you'll wrestle with this until then god bless